Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. This week we have two nights. Night of the Comet and Night of the Creeps. Gotta love the shopping montage. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Because Bad Boys is awesome, so it's, fuck off. It's, it's, uh, I'm sure it's a perfectly fine movie, but talking awesome. about it on this podcast sounds... <sighs> sounds fun. awesome? No. No, we're not <laughs> doing any movie that has Martin Lawrence in it. Now, if you said Bad Boys 2, I'd be all about that, because okay, that, but that's, that's, like, that's terrible. Obviously, Bad Boys 2 is significantly worse than Bad Boys 1, but that doesn't yeah. make Bad Boys 1 a good movie. Well, no, Bad Boys 1, just being Bad Boys 1 is what makes it a good movie. No, no, it doesn't. Yes, it has no. the opposite impact. It's awesome. It's objectively terrible. Just like, also, The Rock is awesome, both the actor and the movie. I will concede you... I'll concede the rock issue. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it at least. And I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I like Armageddon, so everybody could fuck right off. I do like Armageddon. I think Armageddon is just one of those movies where it's like, it just works on the dumb level that it exists on. Like, it's just, it's stupid in just the right way. I I was going to say, I'm assuming we're talking about uh, Bruce Willis Armageddon. I wasn't paying attention (laughs) But there's like thirty. There's literally like thirty-five movies named Armageddon. Oh, yeah, I, I assume we're talking about the Bruce Willis. Why would we talk about any other movie called Armageddon? Mm-hmm. The Bruce Willis one is the only one we need. They sent miners to space. It he's, makes no sense. It's it's not. It's, <laughs> your complaint is valid. He's the best drill man on the planet. They need to send him to space to drill a nuke into an asteroid. I'm just Come saying, because it's not like there are astronauts that are, you know, engineers, and that engineers kind of do that thing. It doesn't matter. He's the best on the planet, Noah. Like by, your, by your silence, I will take that as a win of my argument. It's a perfectly, it's a perfectly <laughs> fine movie that's not as good as Deep Impact. Now okay. you're just talking about the <laughs> bullshit. That's what, what you're doing. So... You know, the, you know what the real problem with Armageddon is? You know where the plot really falls apart? <laughs> the opening scene? The, the, plot, the plot falls apart when AJ gets fired. That's uh, mm-hmm. the Ben Affleck character. He gets fired. Mm-hmm. And then like two days pass. And then they go looking for him to bring him back in to do this like big trip to the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he already has his own company set up with his own big sign in front of his own oil rigs. And the sign is all weathered and beaten, like it's been there a long time. Yeah, <laughs> and that's that's the quality of filmmaking hey. that you get with Armageddon. Can you say from personal experience how oil drilling works? 
I do not know. For then, then there you go. You have no argument to stand on. All right. <laughs> but I feel not since it got brought up, I feel obligated to tell my deep impact story. All right. I, I went to the, that movie when it was new in theaters with like a large group of people who I didn't really know. Like I was one of my friends and like all of his friends kind of thing. And so like, I'm trying to be nice to these people because back then I was still in that weird thing where I wanted people to like me. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm like trying to be all kind and polite to these people. And the one girl was like particularly nice. So I was being extra nice to her because it's, I thought that's how it worked. I mean, I'm still not sure if that is how it works or not, but at the time that's what I believed. Um, so that's at some point in that movie. And I don't remember exactly what it was that happened on screen, but it caused me to like laugh in the kind of way where you like lean right forward, like grabbing your gut laughing. But when I did that, I could see down the row and see all the people I was with. And like that very nice girl and like two other people were crying at that moment. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, I'm not going to be friends with these people. <laughs> we clearly have different views of the world if they're upset about this. Yeah. That sort of happened. That sort of somewhat happened to me with the movie Phenomena with John Travolta. Oh, yeah. Like, me and two of my friends went and saw it, and we were sitting there watching it, and you get towards the end, and I don't know, I guess something sad happened, I don't even remember. But I just remember being like, oh, that's a bummer, and that's about all I thought about it, where then the people in front of us were, like, crying so hard that they were, like, couldn't catch their breath. Yeah. And then me and my friends just started uncontrollably laughing, like, I could not stop. <laughs> Because of these people, they were crying so loud, and that made it very awkward for everybody in the theater. Because <laughs> they know why you're laughing, and you know why you're laughing. <sighs> it's just, it's, there was that time, and, I, and the internet really, I think, helped solve this problem, but there was a time when you didn't know. Like, we didn't realize that we weren't normal. <laughs> we just thought we could blend in with the world. And then we figured it out gradually that. We're not like those people. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fine. There's room for everybody on the planet. <laughs> yeah, that's why I, I refer to people who go to movies that are like that. I call them normies. Yeah. Because those are people that don't quite don't grasp how stuff works. Yeah. <laughs> Although by definition, you're calling them normies, implying that you recognize that <laughs> they're doing the normal thing, and we're the ones that fall outside of it, but... <laughs> Whatever. They don't have a cool podcast with four listeners, so... Exactly. Tomato, tomato. We've got, like, eight. Stop being so negative. <laughs> I just assume everybody who wrote in last week is all of our listeners. Considering we have zero vo uh, feedback this week, that would be correct. Oh, well, we pissed them all off, didn't we? Yeah. It's like, yeah, hey, we answered all your questions, and you didn't like those answers. So, <laughs> right off. What? How many downloads we got last week? Let me look. Well, don't do that. It'll be upsetting. I'm curious. I'm guessing 200. I think you might be overshooting it. 102. <laughs> Just depends uh, on how well Eric in Arbor knows how to use his phone. He's like, does he keep downloading us accidentally over and over again or no? Uh, since Monday, when I put the episode up, we've had 158 downloads. All right. Looks like we top out at around 220. Right. And one of those is me. And one of those is also me. 
because because I'm the asshole that subscribes to my own podcast and make sure it downloads so I get that download count. Uh, I'm the I'm the asshole who subscribes to my own podcast because then I sit and I listen to it and I entertain the shit out of myself because <laughs> I like me so much more than I like other people. <laughs> it's not healthy. I don't. I'm not claiming uh, it is. <sighs> I see, I don't like me at all. So I never listen to myself. I just put it up and I'm like, yep, good enough. Actually, the real reason I started listening was because I used to say a lot of like really asshole things back in the horror et cetera days. <laughs> so I'd go and like listen to it so that when the feedback started, because that show had like a lot of listeners and a lot of feedback. <laughs> so when the feedback started rolling in, I'd be prepared for it. And now it's well, more You only did it because you said something about one specific person and that person got really mad at you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but you see how uh, Grown as a podcaster because well, exactly. the last horror cast didn't phase me at all. Is, is that the story of the Great War where you guys pretended to be other people and caused a rift within the horror podcasting community? No, I'm not talking about. I can't remember who it was. It was one of you guys. I think Brian was involved. <laughs> one of you is uh, a huge asshole. I don't remember which one. Is that when we let the douche cast do uh, our April Fool's episode, and then I, I believe so, and then they talked they, a bunch of shit out of an, about another podcast, joking around, and the other podcast got all butt hurt. Yeah, without actually naming them, and then yeah, they got all butt hurt about it. So then they got us kicked off of our forum page. Yeah, that was good times. That sounds like a fun time. Yeah, people take shit way too seriously. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, in general, that's always <laughs> true. You know who the worst for that is? Bosses. Bosses take shit way too serious. Bosses? Yeah. What's your boss take too seriously? I have no comments. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> Reasonably confident my boss doesn't listen to this, but you never know. Uh, nothing. My boss uh, takes everything just the way he's supposed to. Yeah, my boss is actually perfect. I'm in other people's bosses. <laughs> T- tomorrow's my last day at the old job. Ah, so it's Noah's boss. Fuck that guy. See, I'm yeah. moving. Or girl. I'm, I, I'm I'm officially making the grand move to lower middle class. Oh, sweet. <laughs> fear, fear me, America. <laughs> Maybe Noah can afford his own shutter. Uh, subscription no <laughs> especially not with disney lowering these prices making me have to get another streaming service right fucking bastards i never thought i'd be mad at somebody for going so cheap <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah something's going on there because that doesn't even make sense yeah let's let's put our own uh, streaming service out for half of netflix and then you go wait what yeah, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, the fine print says introductory offer only, right? It's got to be. I'm sure they'll bump it up at some point, but. Well, and I, yeah, I'm assuming it's just a dig to make other companies lose money. Mm-hmm. But but at the same time, uh, that's not usually Disney's MO. You know what I mean? Like, they could totally do that with their Blu-ray movies and stuff and just hurt everyone else's bottom line. But instead, they charge 30% more than everyone else and don't put jack shit for special features on anything. Yeah, but you got to figure Disney is like sort of grandfathered in with 
the normies that we were talking about earlier? That people will buy that shit because it's the Disney movie? So they don't even really have to try. Yeah, I mean, in the interest of fairness, too, they were raising money through their Blu-ray sales to buy everyone's childhood, and now they own everyone's childhood. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to do that anymore. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's still a couple properties they don't own. They'll hear you. They'll hear you and buy them up. Stop it. They might. They might be our parent company. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. They may own us, and we just haven't even realized it yet. Do not speak ill of the mouse. <laughs> Could we get canceled? Could that happen? That'd be weird. Oh, that'd be awesome. I would tell everybody. Disney canceled my podcast. I didn't know you had a Disney podcast. Neither did I. (laughs) Fucking weird, right? Uh You guys should have watched your fucking mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we're staying on topic this week. That'll impress them. (laughs) Uh, How have we we gone from Armageddon to Mickey Mouse impressions (laughs) without mentioning what we're here to discuss? (laughs) We didn't even stop in the middle ground where we're actually rec- what we're supposed to be doing. No. That's what the mouse told us to do. Keep that content coming in. Yep. Uh, well, since Doug brought it up, we should mention that we're doing uh, two movies with Night of the in the title and then whatever horror conceit at the end. It's Night of the and then a word that starts with C. So it's yeah. really, really specific as far as topics it's, go. That's a little more than that. Space, space-bound things causing people to turn into uh, weird plague zombies. Yeah, I guess you're a point. Yeah. It weirdly also works out in ways we hadn't intended. <laughs> Both movies are starring teenagers. Mm-hmm. And Tom Atkins is in both of them. He is. Uh, he was that he's that good of an actor. You just didn't see him in Night of the Comet. Okay, no, I, I fully accept that. <laughs> no, I was just trying to make more connections. No, I'm standing by it though. Now I'm looking at IMDb. I must have been uncredited. So I was yeah. going to say the audience can go ahead and guess which movie's better, remembering that one of them contains Tom Atkins's mustache. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, uh, should we jump into it? I guess if you're in a hurry. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to be an organized week. <laughs> yeah, why not? All right, where are we at? Uh, well, no, why don't you give us the rundown of uh, Night of the Comet? Uh, so, Night of the Comet is uh, a very 80s movie, although not as 80s as the other film. <laughs> Are you sure? It's pretty 80s. It's pretty 80s. I think Night of the Creeps is even more 80s. Wow. It's a debate debate to be had. Yeah, it is. During our conversation and figure it out for yourself. (laughs) Uh, So it's about um, basically a Haley's Comet-esque event called like The Stranger or something like that. Uh, This weird comet's going to be passing by Earth. And everybody's all boned up to see it, except for a bunch of teenagers who, <laughs> through various happenstances, sleep inside of metal buildings. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a fun conceit. Yeah, those it gets it gets a little ridiculous at some points where you're like, okay, no, I don't think that that would work now. <laughs> so, 
You don't know. But uh, so the comet passes by and reduces almost everyone on Earth to dust and uh, causes the spread of weird that people dust poisoning the atmosphere and slowly turning people. Uh, people who were only slightly covered in dust and or moon juice of some kind uh, turn into ravenous zombie people uh, and eventually die. Uh, and randomly there's a group of scientists underground that are being total dicks. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's the best plot description you've ever given for a movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Doug, did you say this is the first time watch for you? This is, yeah, definitely. I, I think I may have seen this movie like in the eighties because, like, as I was watching it, I started to like recognize certain moments. Mm-hmm. Being like, maybe I've seen it in like some sort of clip shows, or maybe I just watched it so long ago that I forget it. But yeah, so I was caught completely off guard when those scientist guys showed up. <laughs> I didn't know that was coming. The weird thing is, I've seen it before, but only like once or twice, maybe. And I completely forgot about the scientist uh, subplot. They're like the whole plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're the, the, they're the, zombies, part of the, the zombies are a MacGuffin. Yep, that's sure. that's fair. It's surprising how few zombies show up. Yeah. And even more surprising when you factor in that, like, about half the ones that show up are in dream sequences. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. So it's like, if you look at the actual, like, quote-unquote zombie encounters that they have, because this movie hits all the tropes. It's like the zombies show up, they get chased around a bit, all that kind of stuff. There's the... Even though the movie takes place over the course of, like, three days, there's they already have, like, the problem with other humans that are, like being dicks to them and like like I don't know what you call it those guys that took those stock boys that took over the department store and are super protective of it now <laughs> um, whatever you call that little gang like it, I'll tell you what I call it the best part of the movie very arguably true but so yeah, I would say you're not wrong it's super strange though that this group has become this like weird like street gang who's protecting their territory in like a day <laughs> like they it's weird, but whatever. What about you, Noah? Have you seen this before? Uh, once upon a time. I, I I remembered vague things. Like, I remembered the look of the first zombie they encountered, the, uh, the homeless-looking guy right outside the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I remembered the whole plot that there's a group of scientists being dicks, and that was pretty much all I remembered. <laughs> So I started watching it, and I was like, "Wow, it's like, it's like watching a whole new movie, and it's got Chakotay in it." I love that. That's where you went with it. Where the hell else do you know these people from? <laughs> um, wasn't the blonde? Isn't she from Chopping Mall? Uh, possibly. Yeah. And the other girl's from uh, oh, what's it called? Space movie. Camp? No, nope. uh, the last Starfighter is the one I'm thinking of. Oh, oh yeah, 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 she's the girlfriend character. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, which is interesting because that movie came out right around the same time as this movie, and she's a way better actress in that other movie. So <laughs> that tells you something about what was going on with the filmmaking here. Uh, let's see. Yeah, the blonde is in. Uh, she was in Fast Times. She was in Night of the Comet. Yeah. She was in Chopping Mall. She's one of those faces that you recognize, but you don't really know who she is. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's been in stuff. Yeah. I just find it weird that she's like 30 in this movie and she's playing like a 16 year old. It's super weird. It's the <laughs> 80s. That's what they do, yo. I know, but it's so awkward. She's she like, looks so much older than her big sister. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. She <laughs> looks so much older and she's just walking around in a cheerleader's outfit the entire time. And then she has a weird dream sequence where she starts taking her clothes off and I'm just like, Okay, I know she's over 16, but she's supposed to be like 16 in this movie, so this makes me feel weird. It was one of those moments, too, where you're like, there's an older sister that Mm. they specifically say is 18. I assume the reason that they said she's 18 is that she can be the one that they sexualize, but then they choose to go the other way with it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, what are you you guys thinking there exactly? Um, I was happy to see Jeffrey Lewis. I'm always a big fan of him. I, I accept that. I'm, I'm assuming he's one of the other faces in this movie where it's like, oh, I recognize that guy. He was like the head scientist. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah and he's a guy I recognize. Yeah. I, I don't know where from. Uh, probably Salem's Lot or um, Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects, like, that's where I'd know him from for sure. Yeah. Guest star on every 80s sitcom and or drama TV show. No, it would definitely be Devil's Rejects now that I'm thinking about it and I don't know who he played and everything. Yeah. So that's cool. But, you know, this is just one of those movies. It was this this weird, like, 80s where, like, somehow they'd get just enough of a budget to hire faces you'd recognize, mm-hmm. but not actually, like, famous actors. I don't, I don't really understand how the industry worked back then. <laughs> well, it seems like they must have had something because they were able to close down multiple... That's what I was just going to bring up. Like, it's super weird that they can shut down these streets for a low-budget movie like this. They do a really good job. Like, some of the shots of the L.A. streets that are, like, completely vacant, and they, they have a lot of them that happen at, like, sunset or sunrise, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe that's how they were. That might be probably they had to do it at those times, but it works out really well. They look great. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't understand how they got those shots in this movie. Because they look, yeah. they look. It's like that's real filmmaking right there. The rest of the movie isn't real filmmaking. Why is that real <laughs> filmmaking? <laughs> and there's like there's multiple times they use it. Now they do use the one street multiple times from like different angles. And I think they're trying to convince us it's different parts of town, but that's fine. Oh yeah, they probably shot all the street scenes in one day. I would think, yeah, and not even one day, one sunrise or sunset when they were allowed to like you either had to have it open by the time rush hour started or you weren't allowed to close it until after rush hour was over kind of thing i like how the radio station is is definitely they're like yep this is gonna be the most 80s radio station imagine (laughs) neon everywhere even though it's a radio station so nobody's ever gonna see that no it's not even it's a it's a radio station that with no human beings in it which implies, like, it's not like one of those radio stations where they have guests, or else you'd need human beings in there to interview the guests, and you don't have, like, a studio audience, because th- they would see the giant tape machine that is the radio station. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm always a big fan of weird, ultra-stylized set pieces, and that bathroom in the radio station is the weirdest fucking thing ever put in a movie. <laughs> it's like black and white, checker-tiled floor, purple walls neon around a mirrored island sink in the middle of the room and no toilet! <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Full fairness, full fairness, the only time we see the interior of the bathroom, I think, is the dream sequence, right? So maybe that's not what the real bathroom looks like. Possibly. Yeah. But I'm just saying, somebody had to build that set piece. Somebody built that room and went, yeah, this is about right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's in like this radio station that's a nightclub for some reason. So I guess you'd want a fancy bathroom in a situation like that. I, I, I suppose so. It looks like they just got done filming like a Prince music video in there. <laughs> and they're like, can we just borrow this? And everybody's like, sure, why not? I just want your extra touch. <laughs> that was all about the impressions this week. That just always reminds me of uh, anytime somebody mentions Prince, all that goes to my head is the SNL sketch of Prince going on uh, Ultimate Hunter with Ted Nugent, with Bill Paxton <laughs> playing Ted Nugent. I don't believe I've ever seen that. But no, oh my God, where did Ted Nugent. <laughs> Like he's like, well, go ahead and sing your song, fancy man. And he's over there singing it. He gets shot in the chest with an arrow, and the camera pans back, and Ted Nugent's got the bow, and he's like, "I am the only alpha male." <laughs> <laughs> look it up; it's awesome. I will look it up at a later date. Currently, I'm busy recording a podcast. <laughs> right. So, according to IMDb, <laughs> the scenes of an empty Los Angeles were filmed in the morning on normal business days. The shots of the Baron City were done quickly while traffic was held up at stoplights. Uh, you know what? In that case, they did a really, really good job. Because that means they couldn't actually shut those streets down. Yeah. that's Because there are, like, really iconic-looking images of, like, the characters standing on those streets with the sun in the background and everything that I, I thought were fantastic. It's really good. The filter they used to do the weird uh, dusty sky actually looks pretty good for the fact that it's a low-budget ass. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, use a lot of red lighting, like, for some of the interior stuff where sunlight's coming in. Mm -hmm. <sighs> like, I feel like the cinematographer on this is probably very talented. Um, I already kind of criticized the actors. I can criticize the director later if you want. But the cinematographer, <laughs> I give full credit to. <laughs> uh, let's see. The original working title is Teenage Mutant Horror Comet Zombies. I kind of like that title a lot. I, yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think I, I, if if we're gonna get into the criticisms of the movie, I think quite honestly that the uh, you just summed it up right there. The movie's called Night of the Comet, but it was originally called Teenage Mutant Horror or whatever. Hmm. And it's like, yeah, this movie doesn't seem to know what it is. Like there are like there's a fist fight scene in like four minutes into the, this movie between a, like a teenager and her stepmom. Which is frankly hilarious because it's done in that '80s violence kind of way. <laughs> so, like when that's happening, and then our main character is like going to hang out in the movie theater after hours and sleep with her boyfriend, who's going to give her money. So they have a whole conversation about how he's not giving her the money to sleep with him, he's, and it's like you're getting real set up for a nice little just cheese fest, right? And it's like I'm enjoying it at that point, and then. All of a sudden, there's these great shots of downtown LA, and you're like, oh, this is a real movie. Well, why was all that stuff so cheesy? I guess that was just the setup, and now we're going to be in a real movie. Back to full-on cheese with the radio station and the gang that hangs out in a department store. Then they try to filter in like real drama with these scientist guys that show up and be dicks, as we previously described. I, 
I find it's I found it like almost like whiplash inducing going back and forth between the two different tones that this movie had. Yeah, it takes us to the other good through line of these movies that they are both uh, intentional kind of throwbacks to 1950s slash early 60s uh, horror movies. Yeah, kind of having fun with the tropes. And it and this one it works well. I'll tell you what the only the only thing that I find disappointing about this entire movie is that her first little encounter with a homeless zombie in the alley. Like, there's actually just a little bit of cool gore right there. Yeah, it, and it kind of gets you ramped up, and you're like, "Yeah, let's do that for the rest of this movie." And that's not what the rest of the movie is. And that that's yeah, that's part of what I was saying, getting at as well. Like it's, they don't know what kind of movie they're making. Are they making a drama about how these people are going to handle living in a world when most of the population has been wiped out? Or are they making a cheesy monster movie? And the, the zombies become such an afterthought throughout a lot of the movie where you're like, that'd be fine if this were a serious movie. But then you can't have it. You can't have those scenes at the beginning of... Like that fight between the teenager and the stepmom, it's fucking hilarious. But it's just like, <laughs> what is it doing in this drama about li- living in a world where populations have been decimated, and how do you come together? And you know, and similarly, you've got like these girls, like they team up with that truck driver guy, whatever his name is, and they're like, so like, there's some his great name moments. His name will be. We'll go with Hector because I don't like Noah being happy. Um, <laughs> he's, but he, there are some great moments with him, and that, and they're all talking and trying to figure out like whether they're going to team up. And it, it's it's almost not quite there, but it's almost a good scene when he walks in and pulls the gun on them, and there's like supposed to be some tension. They almost get it right, but then immediately they cut to when the girls are alone and they're like arguing over who's going to get to bang them, and I'm like, that's not. That doesn't really belong in here. It's just it. It was a little bit off for me. I, I got to say it. it mm. I think yeah. I would have enjoyed either of the two movies, but you can't have both in the same movie. Yeah, I feel like I could have done with more common zombies and less with the scientists. Yeah, because the actual like scientist part of it, which as Noah points out, ends up being sort of the main drive of the movie by the end of it. Um. I thought it was really boring, but them sort of uh, being teenagers and l- looking around at this world that they suddenly f- have found that they're like pretty much the only people left. I thought it was really interesting. I love, I love how fucking well adjusted everyone is to the fact that <laughs> that the world's been decimated. You know, in in modern movies, you know, there the first three quarters of this movie would just be slow, plotting, <laughs> depressing, weird, you know, oh, what's, you know, how uh, I am legend-esque <laughs> bullshit. In this one, they just kind of go, huh, there's all these clothes in the street, and they're like, oh my god, everyone's dust, and they're like, yeah, fuck it, let's go to the mall! <laughs> <laughs> that does make this a very 80s movie. It is. It's so Night weird. of the Creeps is going to have a lot to live up to. For God's sakes, when they go into that that like department store and they're trying on clothes and they put in the cassette tape of girls just want to have fun. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I wonder what decade this was made in. 
they're all like putting on those giant outfits with the huge shoulder pads. <laughs> I mean, and then and then whenever they're attacked by the the uh, the mall cop uh, guys, I don't know what to call them, pseudo zombies, because they have the zombie eyes, I guess. But they're dressed like new kids on the block, and Devo had some weird, horrible babies. <laughs> yeah, it's super weird. Because I like I I didn't even understand if those guys were supposed to be suffering the effects of zombieism or were they just dicks? Because I kind of think they were just dicks. I think it's I think it's supposed to be both because they they said it impairs your your mental capacity. So I think the whole reason why they became crazy stock boy kings of the mall <laughs> is is the the plague dust or whatever the fuck it is. Alright. So that was not made clear within the context of the film, but that's alright. I do like when the scientists just show up and walk in and just blow the shit out of those guys. <laughs> like, like, well, we don't know what's going on here, but those two girls are tied up, so I guess we just shoot the other guys. Yeah. Close enough. That's because they gotta squeeze out them fresh, fresh blood juices. Yeah. <laughs> so what exactly are the scientists? Like, they're trying to basically make a find people who survived and create like an antidote kind of thing. Yeah, they're trying Basically, to like yeah. Well, and and I don't even think they said it's an antidote. I think they said it's like a serum that slows the change. And so their plan was just to like go from place to place finding all of the survivors and draining them of their juices like they're the fucking skexies from Dark Crystal. <laughs> mm, essence. This fucking that's basically the plot of this movie. It's the weirdest fucking thing, because there's no like end game to it. They're just like, no, we're just gonna, we're just gonna hook, put them all into medical comas and suck out their blood like weird science vampires. All right. I, I was worried that I'd miss something, but it doesn't seem like it did. Uh, so are we positive on this movie? Yeah. <laughs> not so much. I'm having trouble with I, I, as we talk about it, it's like everything we talk about I like, and I, and I feel like I enjoyed like a lot of elements of the film, but I can't get my head around how poorly they were mixed together. Mm. And like I say, like, it was like watching a tennis match going back and forth between like the cheesy comedy and the serious science fiction movie and it uh, it just doesn't quite work for me i don't know see i think it was fun enough i kind of like watched it in the afternoon and had like made myself a, a snack and stuff <laughs> just kind of curled up on the couch and watched it and i think that was is the perfect way to view this movie in a non-serious just kind of ah fuck it i'm gonna throw something on i do feel like this movie probably does work best as like um, and it's harder to do nowadays than it was back in the day, but just a, uh, oh, this is the weekend movie that my local TV station is playing, and I just stumbled across it, so I guess this is what I'm going to watch for the next hour and a half. Yeah, like, I could see this movie almost working, because you could turn it on at any point in time, and it's, there's enough action that you won't get bored, but it's slow enough that you'll figure out what's going on pretty quickly, like, you don't, you won't get caught up in the plot. It's like, mm -hmm. oh. These girls are at the mall. Why? 
Oh, because nobody else is alive. All right, I can piece that together. It doesn't really <laughs> matter that everyone turned to dust early in the movie. Yeah, see, I think this would actually uh, be a good like drive-in movie. Just just because it's not involved enough that you know you can like talk to your, your whoever's with you and like you know run to the concession stand and grab cheeseburgers and, and delicious delicious corn dogs <laughs> and and watch this and just have a good fucking time. Like like I said, it's a fun movie. I think it's a group watch movie. Maybe yeah, I can see that. I can see that, yeah, because like when the cheesy stuff's happening, and then when it fades off into the slower scenes, you could talk about how much fun the cheesy scenes were. <laughs> right, right. I could almost, I could almost see this being one of those, uh, almost like a Rocky Horror Picture Show esque uh, crowd involvement movie, where people rewatch it every year and sit in the theater and scream random things at the screen. And well, there is like a strong fandom for this movie, like. Mm-hmm. The name comes up a lot, and like when you post on social media that you're watching this movie, you get reactions from people who have like the title of their movie in their name and shit. Like it's, it's weird how much people like this movie that you know I watch for free on YouTube because I don't even know how to find it legally. <laughs> like, yeah, when I posted that we were doing these movies for this week, there was it seemed like a lot of excitement on our Facebook page about them. So. Definitely, definitely a movie people enjoy. So, yeah, yeah I'm I'm pretty positive on it too. I think, uh, like we mentioned, it's a good uh, uh, weekend movie group watching at a drive-in or some sort of just fun way to watch it. Maybe uh, sitting by yourself in the basement watching it maybe is not the best way to do it. But yeah, uh, you know. Which I'm implying that's what Doug did. That's what I did, yeah. Yeah. I don't. (laughs) I'm always in my basement watching all of the movies that we discuss on the podcast because I need to pay attention to them in order to be able to criticize them properly. (laughs) Should we talk about how influential this movie is, though? Yeah, go for it. Starting with the fact that this is the earliest known example I've seen of like some some giant thing happens and a bunch of the population disappears and turns to dust. Speaking of Disney stealing other people's ideas, <laughs> it's also the the zombie apocalypse where a group of scientists living in an underground bunker have a helicopter to go out and look for uh, survivors, and it came out approximately one year before George Romero did that in his movie, which is interesting. Yeah. And uh, most importantly of all, this is the earliest known example at least to me, earliest known example of uh, the trope of young people sticking around work so that they can bone after uh, <laughs> after work. is two years before Chopping Mall. And the opening scenes of this is just two people who work in a movie theater just sneaking in, sneaking around at work. Uh, also... In a projection room that's made out of steel for some reason. Uh, I don't know if you guys watch this show, but basically season two of The 100, which is kind of like a future sci-fi Mm-hmm. show yeah. is literally about a group of scientists living in a bunker underground that can't survive out in the area because of the levels of radiation so they're capturing the people from the surface and draining them of their blood to give themselves blood injections to prolong their ability to handle that radiation awesome somebody owes somebody so basically yeah, well, there's one everybody other. who's made a movie since 1984 ripped this off. Say so there's another one 
a little movie that came out two years later about a comet that sort of passes by Earth and causes all sorts of problems. It would be maximum overdrive. That's a valid point. But as also we known as that, a good movie, and fuck anyone else who says anything else. <laughs> all right. Without getting as angry as Noah just did, I'll just say this. Maximum Overdrive is a good comedy movie. It's not a good horror movie. People watch it thinking they're going to watch a horror movie. That's not the appropriate way to watch that movie. <laughs> I believe that the marketing of that movie convinced people it was going to be a horror movie. And I don't believe it was ever intended to be a horror movie. Uh, you mean the commercial that Stephen King says it's going to be scary as hell? Yeah. Yeah. Stephen King was so fucking high, he doesn't remember making nope. So why is anybody asking him? Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So I think that's a somewhat recommend from all of us for Night of the yeah. Comet. Varying degrees of recommend. Yeah. Um, all right. So next up was Night of the Creeps, uh, which I'm a gigantic fan of. So... Um, so essentially, uh, some space slugs come to Earth. Uh, get uh, brought brought here by weird space babies. Yeah, yeah. space midgets. We're this off to a good start so when there's weird. space midgets in the first four minutes of the movie. <laughs> uh, so I don't. I would just watch it. I don't even remember how it begins. Did they infect the guy in the fifties and then he gets frozen? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, there's the the weird space fetuses, and they yeah, yeah. blow that door off, and the door or whatever lands on Earth, and the boyfriend yeah, yeah. I think gets infected. Okay. I couldn't remember if he was infected or if it was the serial killer because that's a thing that pops up later. But no, yeah, he's yet. he's infected. The serial killer kills his girlfriend, yeah. and then Tom Atkins, <laughs> using eighties de aging technology, shoots the serial killer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was a great way to put it. Uh, so fast forward to uh, these kids in college who, uh, I don't know, are t- doing typical 80s kids in college things where they really like a girl, but of course she's dating the blonde-haired uh, typical 80s villain of just about every movie around, like yeah. three years around this movie. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, if, you out, haven't, if you haven't seen this, just picture Johnny from uh, yeah. Karate Kid. Yeah, he's like poor man's Johnny, who turns out to be uh, Bubba from Mama's Family. Um, and uh, so it's it's sort of the typical '80s, like, uh, and then they they uh, tell him they can join some fraternity or whatever if they break into the to the school and steal the frozen body that's in there or something like that. And so they end up accidentally unfreezing the guy, which means the space slugs come back to life, start infecting animals and people alike. And of course, there's a giant bush crash where everybody dies, but they get infected by slugs, which turns people basically into zombies. And so then the main dude and the girl he has a crush on, of course, have like flamethrowers and fucking Tom Atkins is fighting slugs. And it's just all around amazing. Can't believe you managed to not bring up Tom Atkins until the very end of your plot description. I'm just saying, save the best for last. Uh, so, what did everybody think of Night of the Creeps? I mean, this movie's fucking awesome, right? It's yeah. 
this is gonna be one where we just talk about how awesome it is. Yeah, like it. Nice. It captures like that '80s thing of taking like the nerdy kids and making them the hero of the movie, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, it was it was a trope in the '80s, but it always seems to work for me. Mm-hmm. And then, and they managed to do it in this one without making them rapists. That's yeah, true. which was nice. It is a nice thing that they don't rape anybody <laughs> in this movie. It's a little change of pace for '80s. Um, it has like like the special effects are good. The monsters are good. Uh, the one thing that this movie does that is really kind of unique compared to other movies of its time is like it's full of meta humor, which is way early for that. Like that'd be very oh, common yeah. now. But like all the like just the fact that they have the movie start in like the fifties to let you know that hey, we're gonna do a knockoff on these old fifties movies <laughs> and just like all the stuff that all the stuff that they do that's just like drawing attention to the fact that you're in a cheesy science fiction movie. It's so fun. Like all, and, the, all the characters are named after other horror directors. Yeah, yeah, we have. Uh, I remember, like, when the first girl introduces herself and her last name's Cronenberg, and I like, I'm just sitting in my basement alone watching the movie, like you make fun of me for. But I had a <laughs> smile on my face as that's happening. Like, oh yeah, that's right. And then like Detective Ramy shows up or whatever the fuck his name is, and you're like, that's great. <laughs> and this movie, like, it just knows exactly what it is. It's just full on cheese. And it's just, it's like, they may as well literally start just leaning over and chewing on scenery walls during some of the line delivery. And they go out and they get Tom Atkins to deliver that, which is like, it's perfect, right? Yeah. Like he, when he starts like referring to everybody by like really stupid nicknames for no reason, <laughs> and he's just doing it with a deadpan serious look on his face, like, it's like, you have no idea if he's in on the joke or not, because he's just so serious about the way he says it. <laughs> And it's fucking phenomenal. And he's wearing like that Hawaiian shirt through part of the movie for no re- no discernible reason. They just put him in a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, it's interesting. I think, at least I feel about it, that when nowadays when people talk about how much of a badass Tom Atkins is, like this is the character they're talking about, whether they realize it or not. Like he's good in like uh, The Fog and Halloween 3 and like all that other stuff. Yeah. Like he's good in that. But this is the character where it was like camped up, like turned up to 10. Like he just got to just, yeah, like you said, chew the scenery like crazy. And so I feel like when they're thinking about, oh, yeah, Tom Atkins is a badass. Like this is the movie that they're thinking of, whether they realize it or not. Is it in Tom Atkins' fucking writer that he wears that brown trench coat in the movie? I don't know. No, he was just famous in the 80s. That's what they did. It's just the weirdest <laughs> fucking. I was watching it and I was like, is that the same coat from like three other movies? Where is Probably. that his coat? Do they not give him like <laughs> clothes to wear? They're just like, no, just wear whatever you want. And he's like, well, then I'm wearing the coat again. <laughs> uh, I hope that's true. <laughs> just shows up every time in that coat. And they're like, that's perfect. Yeah. You haven't worn that in any other movies, have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I just feel like this is the one where he gets all the best one-liners. He gets to be, you know, pick up the fucking phone and be like, it's Miller time or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Thrill me. All that stuff. And yeah, he is just top form in this movie. He's the most Tom Atkins he could ever be in this movie. It's just (laughs) like, thrill me. (laughs) 
keeps referring to the guys as like Spanky and Alfalfa and stuff. And it's like, would these kids even know who Spanky and Alfalfa are? <laughs> I, I don't think they would. So it's, it's kind of hilarious. But I think towards the end, and I, I might be misremembering this, but I think there's actually a point where the kid starts referring to him like his own friend as like Alfalfa. He's like, yeah, I love, like. <laughs> uh, so good. And, uh, Tom Atkins gets to actually say the tagline of the movie that's on the poster, which is, uh, uh, the good news is your days are here. The bad news is they're dead. <laughs> he says that to a room full of sorority girls. <laughs> so good. <sighs> uh, I, I will say that this movie actually has something that gives Tom Atkins mustache a run for its money. And that is that fucking zombie dog puppet. It's it's yeah. amazing. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things ever in a horror movie. I don't know why. It's just every time that face pops up on screen, it's like, <laughs> it's fantastic. I love that. No, it's, it's so good. Uh, and then towards the end of the movie, we get the the main girl that everybody loves by the end of this movie, and she's. She's in like a formal dance dress, like the formal. They don't call them a prom. What the fuck are they called? In they call it a formal one. Okay, it's formal. A quinceanera dress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's wearing the dress for her formal, and she's got a flamethrower strapped to her back, and then the other guy's in a tuxedo running around with a shotgun. Uh, okay. This movie. And I do believe you're resting, referring to uh, the kid who played Rusty from <laughs> uh, uh, your or whatever. Yeah, he would be Rusty number two. Yeah, yeah, Rusty yeah. two. So we're clear, it's European vacation, Rusty, not one of the other ones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to say. This movie's so, it's amazing. You know what I did just realize, though? I think maybe that the visual of her running around with the prom dress on and then carrying the big weapon and fighting off the monsters. Mm -hmm. This might be the first week where I'm saying this influenced Buffy the Vampire Slayer instead of Buffy the Vampire Slayer being the cause of everything else. (laughs) Doesn't that remind you of the end of season one of that show where she's running around in the prom dress fighting two people? It does. Now that you bring it up. Uh, Like it's because she's got the white dress on and everything. Um, The funny thing is in the... uh, trivia for Night of the Comet they said that uh, Joss Whedon has noted that that movie was an inspiration for Buffy the Vampire Slayer what? well yeah. there we go I don't know so that's, the, that's our tertiary theme <laughs> <laughs> both movies inspired scenes from Buffy. <laughs> I don't see the connection with Night of the Comet very much uh, I think it's just hero girls running that's around it. a mall I don't know there was I don't either but Buffy did kill the judge in a mall, and then they did eventually have underground scientists. That, that is true. Not till like season four. Let's just admit it. Buffy's a sham. It took everything from everything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that there hasn't been an original idea in Hollywood since about 1921. What? I don't, I don't believe that. Everything. I don't believe that for a second. Did anybody go see Pest Cemetery the reboot this weekend? Uh, I have not had a chance yet. We will discuss it after the break, like normal people do. <laughs> don't go off on a tangent. 
I'm not going off and change it. I was just uh, pointing out the hypocrisy of me saying that there's tons of original stuff, and then the big movie for this weekend is a remake. All right, well, allow me to transition back to discussing that serial killer zombie, because that fucking puppet thing is awesome. That whole plot line doesn't really make, isn't relevant, from what I can tell. Like, the whole thing where Tom Atkins in 1959 was a beat cop whose girlfriend, ex-girlfriend was killed, so he shot the serial killer and buried the body, and then the slug things bring serial killer body back to life, and it's this awesome looking zombie, (laughs) so he shoots it in the face and the slugs go everywhere. And that that plot, I don't think has anything to do with the rest of the movie, really. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. And it ties in that 1950s opening sequence perfectly. (laughs) And they they DH Tom Atkins by dyeing his mustache a little. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, there. Now he's 20-something years younger. <laughs> did uh, did we mention uh Dick Miller and uh David uh oh fuck what's it? Pamer? Is that how you say his last name? I don't know who David Pamer is. I'm pretty the, sure the scientist guy at the beginning okay. of the movie. The yeah. guy the Again, movie. another yeah. one of those faces that has been in a million things, but I like Dick Miller in this movie where he's like first of all he's the police like requisitions guy who guards all the weapons and he just has flamethrowers back there and everybody's okay with that part of it but then he doesn't have the, when tom atkins doesn't have a proper requisition form he's like well i can't give you a flamethrower without a requisition form. <laughs> <laughs> My, what police department just has flamethrowers readily available to sign out as long as you have permission <laughs> apparently this police force yeah and of course the dick miller of course is the one who's got it Perfect. If you're going to have flamethrowers, you hire Dick Miller to guard them. Of course. That just makes sense. Um, I was going to say something. I don't know. This movie is fantastic. Yeah, it's 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 just great on so many levels. Like, it's just... It's f- so much fun to watch. Like, it never has a moment. It knows exactly what it's doing the whole time. It's not like... It doesn't... It doesn't try to be a scary horror movie during some of the scenes and then try to go back to being funny in other scenes. It just... It's just Night of the Creeps. Mm-hmm. It's worth pointing out that like Fred Decker made this in like '86, and then Monster Squad in '87. Yeah, that guy is a genius of the '80s. <laughs> like it is, I don't understand how they didn't just give him every franchise after that and just be like, make well, movies. I'm looking at some of the specs right now, and apparently the budget for this was around five million. Yeah, and, and it made like six hundred thousand in the box office. Really? Yeah. Because did you see the numbers for Night of the Comet? It's like it was made for like seven hundred thousand and made like fourteen million or something. Oh Jesus! Like it's the opposite. That's yeah. so weird. How did Night of the Creeps not do well? I guess it, the thing with Night of the Creeps is maybe it was just ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Like this whole idea of doing an homage to the older generation of movies, I don't think was really popular in '86. the The meta humor that is in throughout this movie, I don't think was popular. The '80s were so cheesy that I think doing an intentionally cheesy movie was just a bold move. Like, it's like are they being intentionally cheesy or is it just the '80s? Uh, it's hard to tell. It's like I'm, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. By it's, it, it, you're kind of confused until about the last ten minutes of the movie, and then you're like, oh no, they're doing all this on purpose. I get it. <laughs> oh so, yeah, see, I, I guess I wasn't, but again, I'm watching it now right and like in 86 i didn't see this um 
so I'm part of the problem, I guess. But it's I can see an '80s audience like having a little trouble understanding this movie because it's not like other movies that came out at that time. And it's yeah. oddly like it's oddly kid friendly, even though it's clearly intended for an older audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this is a movie that probably found its audience on VHS. Yeah, but the studio—it was probably still early enough that the studio didn't realize that that's something they could capitalize on. So they just kind of like didn't even think about it. Like, oh yeah, I made a lot of money on VHS, but yeah, that doesn't it, mean it's worth anything to us. I'd, I'd almost bet they gave it a limited theatrical release, and that's why it like didn't make much money. Yeah, I don't know. Um, if you paid attention during uh, the bathroom scene when Chris is in, Chris, no, JC is in in the bathroom and the slugs are all running all over the bathroom and he falls out and starts crawling along the floor and he looks up and then written on the wall it says go monster squat go it does yeah that's awesome <laughs> so these are set in the same universe uh maybe i hope so you think one of those kids just wandered into this college and wrote it on the wall just because during that one day where they were getting all their weapons organized and they had time to print up business cards. <laughs> <laughs> the dog was helping write letters to the army. When are we doing Monster Squad again? I don't know. Next week. <laughs> <laughs> so I did walk into work today and my coworker that had not seen Army of Darkness or Evil Dead. I was like, I bet he hasn't seen these movies either. For whatever reason. Again, he's only 26, but it's still no excuse. So I walked in, I'm like, have you ever seen Monster Squad? And he's like, is that the one with Fred Savage? And I was like, no, that's Little Monsters. He's like, oh, then no, I've never seen Monster Squad. And I was like, well, what about Night of the Creeps? He's like, no. And I was like, all right, well, that's the next double feature we're going to watch when you come over to my house. So just prepare yourself. We could... We could do a Monster Squad podcast where we just watch Monster Squad and review Monster Squad every week. And I would do so many episodes of that podcast before I get old. How about we do, yeah, we could do Monster Squad and then team it up with a Universal Monster movie that's sort of associated with it. Yeah. Done and done. I was going to say, you could probably throw it in with another Kids on Bikes movie, but I honestly can't think of another kids on bikes movie that remotely comes close to monster squad <laughs> goonies included <laughs> like, yeah like you could but you could do it with goonies that would still be fine because that's like after you've made it through all the monsters i suppose yeah. still not it's not the same goonies goonies not as good as monster squad I picture us on week 25 of our Monster Squad podcast trying to watching the Monster Squad and then the shape of water and arguing why Monster Squad deserved best picture more than it. <laughs> I don't disagree. Monster Squad is so fantastic. Um, but here again, budget $12 million, gross about $3,800. Well, that's a problem. Yeah. <sighs> madness exactly what is I mean, wrong world i mean we were all young enough that like that kind of shit didn't matter to us like the monster squad is the greatest movie ever conceived why is there not like 10 of them yeah i just and it's one of those ones i don't understand how it didn't make money like it it was on tv a lot 
mm-hmm. like especially whenever it was doing like its HBO run and stuff. Yeah, but these are box office numbers, right? And that's at this time, like in the eighties, this part of the eighties, they weren't yet caring about the aftermarket. I don't think. Yeah, not really. I just, I get it. I just, the fact that I didn't get to see it in theater makes me sad. Uh, I know I participated in giving them some money by renting it like every weekend, almost for oh. 12 months straight. Oh, I used to, we used to like, me and my one friend used to get in trouble for renting Monster Squad. Like, they'd be like, you guys can get, we'll give you money. You can ride your bikes to the video store. You just can't rent that same fucking movie again. And we come back with Monster Squad. Like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> we told you another movie. <laughs> like, stop renting the same movie over and over again. Okay, this time we'll get something different. Don't you crush my joy. <laughs> I think in one summer we rented it 12 times. It was sick. Because, like, the neighbors across the street, like, their grandkid came and stayed with them for the summer, and we immediately became friends because we were in the same age bracket and on the same street, and that's how it works when you're little boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, just old enough to be allowed to go to the video store on our own. Oh, yeah. Which is the uh, 80s, so it's anytime after you're four. I rented it and made a bootleg of it and watched that bootleg so many times that eventually when the tape finally gave out, it destroyed the VCR. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so in a weird coincidence, which I see Noah has already responded, uh, but Laura, who wrote in last week, posted on our group, many of us have been to Flashback Weekend in Chicago because this summer they're having a Night of the Creeps reunion. She was thinking about going, and no, Noah said I might have to try to make that. Uh, she she also sent us face uh, feedback, so we do have feedback. We do. Yep, it just came in like five minutes ago. Oh. oh, that's probably her responding to me indicating that I won the game of rock paper scissors, so she can send me the book. I believe so. <laughs> Still feedback counts. <laughs> counts. Uh, yep. All right, we'll have to read that during our uh, <laughs> our feedback section, I guess. So, yeah. in case you haven't figured it out, Night of the Creeps, super awesome. You should totally watch it. And then, yeah. by, after you watch that, you have to watch the Monster Squad. It's like it's like a law. You pretty much have to. And then but, I think you have to watch Slither too. I yeah. tried to watch Slither, and I couldn't find my fucking DVD of Slither, so I'm angry about that. Sorry, yeah. it's not relevant to our discussion, but. Well, it's weird because James Gunn claims he's never even heard of Night of the Creeps before. They there is movie. no fucking way that's true. That's what I say too, but... I don't know. That's right uh, up there with Rob Zombie saying he'd never seen uh, The Running Man after 31 came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he <you> did. <laughs> Just say you did. Come on, we know you it's did. Fine. Yeah, I mean, it's fine. I, li- I like James Gunn, so I'm willing to overlook his obvious lie. Yeah, because I mean, it's not like it's not even like it's an homage movie. I would argue it's a remake. Like you could say that is a remake of this movie. Yeah, you could you could definitely argue that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I would say maybe James Gunn was joking, but nothing he said sounded homophobic, and most of his jokes usually are. (laughs) Although I I think uh, James Gunn has enough eye for uh, importance that he would have somehow got Tom Acton's mustache into that movie. 
<laughs> Maybe there's like a cameo that we didn't pick up on. I'll have to rewatch it. Look for Tom Atkins' mustache, like in the does, background. Does Nathan Fillion's character in that movie have a mustache? No. No. no? Although Nathan Fillion with a mustache is something that I feel like I need to see now. It is true. It's it's happened several times. It's weird. Hmm. Huh. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> we went from Night of the Creeps to, to Monster Squad to Nathan <laughs> Fillion have a mustache. <laughs> that oh, well. is why these movies bring us joy, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, but sometimes I have people over and I do like double features at my house. And a couple of years ago, we did do Slither and Night of the Creeps. And that everyone and it was, was very happy at the end of it. They were. They, some of them had never seen Night of the Creeps before. And they thoroughly enjoyed it. And some of them had never seen Slither before. And they thoroughly enjoyed it. So, Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. yeah I think Night of the Creeps is one of the movies, I think, that you can legitimately, like, if you've never seen it and you watch it, you'll just love it. If you're, like, a fan of this type of movie. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter that it's from the 80s. Because it's done in that cool way that some 80s stuff is done where it kind of doesn't really feel like the 80s, even though some of the stuff is so very 80s about it. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Like it almost doesn't feel like it's set in the real world. So who cares that it's the 80s? Does that make... Eh. Yeah, I feel like Tom Atkins' character like pushes it in a completely separate like dimension that you could just yeah deal with it. It's almost, it's almost like this is, oh, this is like a film noir. And then the film noir, like, takes acid and then goes crazy. <laughs> then you're perfectly yeah. fine with it. I can see that argument. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I like I love that the opening scenes of this movie are in black and white too and it's they don't yeah. they don't feel like the 1950s. They feel like a 1950s movie if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Like they don't I'm sure the 50s wasn't right. like that. Like I don't I don't know what it was like. I wasn't alive, but it seems like movies are fake from back then. <laughs> And you could have totally, the entire movie could have been that, and it would have been awesome. Oh, yeah, I'd watch a whole movie about that opening thing, and it ends with young Tom Atkins shooting the guy. Yeah. We're like, why is that relevant? <laughs> that scene where the where they show the him killing the guy, and you get to watch the serial killer hacking up the girl. <laughs> He's just swinging that axe like a fucking lumberjack. It is fantastic. <laughs> It's just like as if he was beating her to death with a baseball bat. But you're like, that's an axe that probably killed her on like the second swing. You're fine, man. <laughs> like, you're good. That's, work work smarter, not harder. Yeah, this is why Tom Atkins caught you. If you had just killed her and moved on with your day, but you had to stick around and hack up the body for a while. I'll, t- I'll tell you guys what that axe hit to the face on the uh, the, the whatever she's called the sorority mum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's dope too. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good yeah. axe hit effect. I really like it. Yeah, I just like that zombie carrying the axe around. Like you just, because that's sort of a, a trope of zombie filmmaking is that zombies return to the things they knew. You know, Dawn of the Dead, they all went back to the mall, and this one, the serial killer zombie, still carries around his axe. <laughs> so, so besides the need to unburden yourself by confessing to a murder, <laughs> does this story have a point? <laughs> what a great moment what a great idea that they just have he just confesses to a murder and the kid's like i don't know why you're telling me any of this and i don't really know why either to be totally honest like he 
could have just not confessed to a murder and everything would have been fine. I really like his facial reactions too, where he's almost trying to interrupt him. He's like, hey, please, please, please stop confessing your murder to me. <laughs> like, I don't want to be the only one that knows you committed a murder. That feels like it could backfire on me. Ah, oh, this movie is so good. I, I, it's one of those movies I don't watch enough. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, right. This movie's perfect. I should probably watch it more. Ah, so good. Although now I do want to go upstairs and watch Monster Spot. Yeah, that's reasonable. The one question I have for you guys, what is up with the oddly racist janitor character that just keeps going, scream like banshees? Scream like banshees. Why, like, <laughs> why, like, why is he like not just a normal human being? Why do they have to make him like, and- this weird racist stereotype? I, I don't know. If if we need to remind you of this, but eighties. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh hello, pretty lady. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a solid point, actually. Nobody knew that was racist back then. But, like, it's funny because he has an accent. And you're like, oh yeah, right. That is funny. Talks yeah. to me because he's from somewhere else. Came to your I, country to better his life, and now you just mock him for it. I still like sixteen candles. I can't help it, but yeah, that is that is pretty bad. I do think that um, the oddly racist character, uh, janitor character in Ginger Snaps may have been inspired by the oddly racist janitor character in <laughs> Night of the Creeps. It seems like it's a little almost too specific uh, for it to be a coincidence, but it's too specific for them to have chosen that moment to reference as well, so I don't know if it's true or not. All right. Does anybody else have anything before we move on? I guess. Uh, recommend. <laughs> I, I think that goes without saying. Yeah, I think people might have figured that out. I think we've recommended six movies in our discussions. Bring <laughs> up other shit. Uh, Just watch, uh, watch this, and then watch Halloween three because fuck you, no, Halloween three is perfectly fine. Halloween three is garbage. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, so we got a piece of feedback. Uh, Laura sent us an email. Uh, Doug, do you want to read that? Yeah. Um, well, the first part of it is just her promising to send me the book that we talked about last week um, mm-hmm. because I won the game of rock, paper, scissors that we never actually had, but I just claimed that I won <laughs> so that I could have the book because <laughs> fuck you guys. Uh, neither, uh, of you, neither of you replied to her email, so therefore I get the book. You win. Um, and the next thing she has to say is, uh, I'm looking forward to Night of the Creeps. You may not remember, but I requested it last time you discussed Tom Atkins' mustache. <laughs> I, I don't remember, but we probably should have done it then because we waited too long to do it. That's true. Yeah. I always liked European Vacation Rusty, too. Oh my god, she's making all the references we make. (laughs) (laughs) should have read this during the main part of the show. Uh, And they're actually doing a Night of the Creeps reunion at Flashback Weekend Chicago Horror Convention this summer. 
she's considering driving down for it. Uh, I think uh, you should. Yeah. yeah. Flashback's a somewhat decent time. Is it? Somewhat decent that you're being selling point? <laughs> well, I did see her asking about the parking, and the parking is kind of horrendous. So Yeah, I was thinking about trying to make it up for like maybe a day of it or something. Um, yeah, I would try That's to figure out your parking situation beforehand. I, prob- I probably wouldn't bring a car. Oh, well, that's even better. Take, take the train up. Well, where you park the train, the train back. Yeah. Trains are even harder to park, I find, than cars. <laughs> uh, yeah, flashback is a good time. Usually my friend Tony has a, has a table set up there. So stop by, buy a bunch of stuff from his, his booth, and then go get your Night of the Creeps autographs. Yeah, I didn't know they were doing a Night of the Creeps reunion. I'm kind of maybe interested in going as well. Let's see. Do you think the mustache will make an appearance? I don't know. Let's go how, to the website. Of, I don't know how big of an event that is. Um, I'm not as familiar with it's, American Horror it's Conventions. pretty good. I mean, it's it's a pretty decent-sized uh, horror convention. They're the, they're the ones that put on the Death Till Dawn thing we go to, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, they also own a drive-in, so they do a... Oh, good the, for them. Usually they close their uh, drive-in season out by doing a Dust Till Dawn Horror Night for movies. Well, I would say this will show how big this horror convention is. Uh, their celebrity guest for 2019, the one at the top of the list is Sam Raimi. Uh, after that's Bruce Campbell. After that's Robert England. Lance Henriksen. It's pretty good. Tony Todd, Virginia Madsen, Ted Raimi. Awesome. I feel like they're making fun of Ted Raimi but putting him so far down the list from his brother. I can like stand across the room and like glimpse them from a distance without spending too much money. Uh, Heather Langenkamp, Amanda Weiss, Weiss, I don't know, Tina from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Lisa Wilcox, who was Alice in the Nightmare series. Linda Clark, who was the zombie chick in uh, Return of the Living Dead 3. Serena Vincent from Cabin Fever. Uh, ooh, Fred Decker will be there. Really? Part of the Night of the Creeps. So now this is a definite must-go for me. Um, yep, sure enough, Tom Atkins will be there. Uh, Rusty Number 2 will be there. Does it say Tom Atkins's mustache will be there? Because I think it, they actually have it, to hire them separately. Uh, it doesn't, but I mean, his picture, he has the mustache, so I think it's there. Yeah, it um, the girl, uh, is, uh, Jill Whitlow. The girl. The, the <laughs> main girl. The girl. The main girl from Night of the Living, or Night of the Creeps. And then, uh, the best friend, JC, will also be there. I wonder, I wonder how much it would cost to get a Blu-ray signed by all them. Uh, I'm going to guess 30 bucks a piece, probably. So one, two, three, four, five. So 150 bucks. I think that sounds cheap compared to what it actually would be. You think so? I don't know. We'll have to find out. I just have the feeling Tom Atkins signature is probably a 50 or $60 signature. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Now, the interesting thing is everybody from Night of the Creeps, except for Fred Decker, of course, there is listed... Uh, in costume photo op, which means you can nice. pay to have your picture taken with them dressed up as they were in the movie. So, I mean, you get a picture of Tom Atkins in his trench coat. God damn it. 
<laughs> I really have important things in my life that I'm supposed to spend money on. And me spending $800 on a weekend to go get a picture with fucking Tom Atkins in his trench coat <laughs> is number one on the list. Is it's slowly climbing up. If if his mustache was also holding a tiny shotgun. <laughs> done and done. Sold. Done and done. Yeah, so I just yeah. wonder if you could if you could possibly get him to wear the uh, flamethrower. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm wondering if the girl is going to have the flamethrower. Well, they kind of all used it at various times, though, right? Rusty Number Two had it on for a while. Yeah, he had it on for a while, and then yeah, Tom Atkins is the last one who has it. It's kind of like whoever's the sidekick in the moment gets the flamethrower. <laughs> ironic because you would think you'd give the flamethrower to the most experienced person. So yeah, um, maybe so, maybe Laura secondary has Photoshop opportunity with racist janitor. <laughs> That'd be awesome, screaming like banshee, like a banshee. <laughs> For some reason, in that scene, and now I'm just going back to loving this movie. In that scene, when they kept pointing out that they were running at 40 miles an hour, as if somebody had caught them on a radar gun or something, like they were using that exact number over and over again, I just, I just started laughing and I couldn't stop. <laughs> just like what? A, it's so weird the way they they do that thing where they all talk using the like same words. It reminded me a bit of uh, the Big Lebowski, where that's. <laughs> That's that's like a running joke in that movie. Yeah, I'm just kind of bummed that um, last year was sort of Fred Decker's big comeback year, and it was wasted on the Predator. Yeah, well, like I didn't hate the Predator as much as most people did, but I just wish it could have been a much better movie, so I could be like, "See, I've loved the guy from Monster Squad forever. You're all now just catching up. What are you gonna do?" Fred Decker direct Predator. No, but he, he co-wrote it with uh, co-wrote it, Shane okay. Black. Because him and Shane Black have been best friends since they were roommates in college. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, like the problem with something like being the co-writer on a movie is that you don't have control over the tone of it, right? Which is the key. Yeah, well, I don't even feel like Shane Black had control over the tone of it, so yeah. there, was, there seemed to be a lot of problems with that movie. Speaking of... Reports are coming out that the new Hellboy movie may suffer from the same fate. Reports are not good. It hasn't looked good at all at any step along the way. Well, no, that's not true, because when they announced the casting, I was like, okay, I'm down with that. And then they're just like, yeah, but now we're going to do everything wrong with that cast. I'm like, well, then don't. There's there's a bunch of stuff I'm confused about. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things I kept hearing people bitch about is that they had originally said this is going to be a much more violent yeah. Hellboy movie. And everybody was like, oh, look at the trailers. It's not like that at all. And then all of the negative criticism I've seen is, oh, all it is is a bunch of violent scenes one after another. And it's like, you were just bitching that that's not what the movie was. <laughs> See, I was complaining that, uh, uh, what's his name? Mignola said one of the reasons he put a stop to them doing a third Hellboy movie is because he wanted to reboot it as a much darker movie. And then when I watched the trailer, I'm like, this seems equally as dark as the last movies. 
And now it does have much more violence in it from like the red band trailers that I saw, which I was down for, but I still don't know if it was necessary. Oh, I'm I'm going to see it this weekend. I'll let you know. Well, I mean, I have AMC's A-list, so I mean, it's technically free, so I'll probably go see it, but I'm probably not going to feel good about it. And then I might go see Shazam again. All right, well, should we get into it? <laughs> Did you watch Shazam this week? Because oh, no, I, I went and saw Shazam for a second time this weekend. No, I did. Well, what did you think? It's awesome. They they nailed it. Tonally, they nailed it. I'm mm-hmm. glad that they uh, they kept a lot of stuff from the like Golden Age version of him because I think that's kind of quintessential to the 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 Captain Marvel character. I liked. I love the fact that they went way the fuck out of their way to never actually give him a name, just to be assholes. <laughs> yeah, just to, you know, because they can't call him Captain Marvel anymore, and his name isn't Shazam. So what the fuck do you call him? <laughs> yeah. And I just, I uh, like I said, I, I don't, I don't know if they could have done it much better. Maybe a little bit better, but not much. Uh, and I would agree with that. I think it's just a lot of fun. Wes, me and Wes went and saw it. Wes didn't really know anything about the character, and he went in, thought it was fantastic, absolutely loved it. Said uh, he would probably pick this up on Blu-ray when it came out, which is rare for him. He doesn't pick up a whole lot of stuff anymore. So, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a huge recommend. If you if you like. Uh, like Silver Age, Golden Age comic book stuff, and you've been kind of sad that DC has completely lost sight of what their characters are. This this one, this one, the best thing is this movie was saved by DC's unwillingness to believe that this could be the one that made money. Yeah. And the funny thing is this may be the one that sort of reboots the DC universe and movie form. Right. I think they were shocked and now they're like, well, maybe we should do more movies like this. And it's like, that's all we've been saying the whole time, dumbasses. Do you have any uh, plans to go see it, Doug? Uh, plans, no. Um, mm. If I get around to it, I will see it. I will see it eventually. Yeah. It does actually look like it's uh, appealing to me. I just don't know what I'll get a chance. At the end of the day, it being a DC movie, I just I can't I can't prioritize it. <laughs> well, the, the good thing is it it feels like DC was so not concerned about it that they didn't pay attention while anybody was making it, yeah. so it actually turned out good. And see, like, and and I think this is a point that gets missed in the discussion of the DC universe. It's like mm-hmm. none of the movies have really been good. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't seen. Aquaman. I haven't seen Justice League. I'm pretty confident Justice League sucks. Justice um, League's not good. Yeah, yeah. look at that. I the problem with the movies is not like oh they're dark, oh they're gritty, oh they're it's that they're shitty. It's that they make mm-hmm. bad bad movies. Like when they were holding Wonder Woman up, like it was like this like shining star. And I'm like it's okay, but that shouldn't be your best movie. Your best movie shouldn't be okay. And so if Shazam is like legitimately good, if the 
jokes all land and if the plot is at least makes enough sense and the characters feel like they're actually characters then that'll be mm -hmm. a huge accomplishment for them um, and i'll i'll be very happy to see it and it looks like from the trailers and stuff that's what they've pulled off so hopefully hopefully it's good I'm, yeah. right now i'm just like i'm, I'm hesitant to even take your guys's word for it <laughs> like no i think it's fantastic Seeing it this time, there's a moment in the movie. It's the moment where he becomes a hero. Because a lot of it, towards the beginning, is he gets superpowers. And he essentially does the Spider-Man thing where he just doesn't really know what to do. So he hangs out at the park and takes selfies with people. And they usually give him money for it. And he's putting on some ridiculous light show like at one point and you know whatever but then there's a moment where it's like he realizes in his mind like okay this shit is like 100% real like right now and he does his move where he runs and then jumps off the roof as a kid and then you know shouts Shazam gets hit by a bolt of lightning and then takes off flying across the sky and it's just like ah oh, that scene is so fucking awesome and very well earned in the movie yeah, that's my question. Is more whether it's earned, uh, yeah. Because you know, um, that's in an ideal world, I'd like there to be a bit of an emotional storyline about this kid learning to be a hero. Mm. That's like I think that's what made the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies good, at least the first two, because they had that. They had that. Yeah, they were fun and they were lighthearted, but they also had that real storyline going through about our character learning to exist with his powers. Yeah, well, I would say it's definitely earned in this one. It definitely and it definitely has that sort of Spider-Man thing to it, where he's a kid. I mean, he's a fourteen-year-old, and suddenly, with a word, he can, for the most part, turn into Superman. I. So what does a fourteen-year-old do with that kind of shit? Which at first is a bunch of dumb shit just to show off and make money, but then has to realize like, oh shit, like I have to actually be a superhero because I have this power. And it's responsible. Like, I need to be responsible and actually do it. And that becomes a good part of the movie. Right. And I like the fact that it's got this cool message in it, it where, where it's not just about becoming a superhero. Mm. It's about, like, figuring out that being a superhero isn't what people think it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Yeah, I... <sighs> Again, since I've seen it twice, I think it's without a doubt that I, I recommend for me. And it seems like Noah had a good time. So, Yeah, yeah, I want to go back and see it again. Yeah. What else did you watch, Noah? Uh, trying to think. Did I actually get anything else watched? I don't think I did. Mm. Oh, yeah, I did. I watched uh, the ABC Murders on Prime, the the John Malkovich three-part series based off the uh, uh, the fuck's her name? Mystery writer Mary Higgins Clark. Oh, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I don't know yeah. anything about it. Yep. Yeah, it's basically a three-part murder mystery miniseries. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, very, very slow. <laughs> But the acting is really, really, really good, and if, and that's about all I can get of it. It's it's really odd because like the reveal at the end, I guess you know, 
it's it's a murder mystery, so it's kind of a who done it kind of thing. And you know, of course, they spend the entire time going, "Oh, look over here," and you're like, "No, it's a murder mystery." <laughs> stop, stop trying to pretend like you're telling us what's going on. But but like I said, the acting it's John Malkovich. I mean, John Malkovich is fucking John Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Yeah, he's awesome. So it's a good, it's good, it's a recommend. I mean, like I said, it's real fucking slow, but but besides that, it's really cool. Uh oh yeah, I burned through uh all of season two of the Tick. Yeah, was really good, really good, and the fact that uh, John Hodgman is is kind of like a recurring character in it, and I really like John Hodgman. <laughs> didn't didn't hurt. That's what was good. But I think that's it. I didn't watch any more uh, movies or anything. What did you watch, Doug? Uh, I have basically nothing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I didn't watch any movies this week except for the ones that we were required to watch. I did randomly select an episode of Unsolved Mysteries and watch that uh, for no reason. Nice. That show holds up better than I expected it to. <laughs> That theme song still creeps me out. I was like genuinely intrigued by these, like this kid that went missing from a Halloween party in 1984 or whenever the hell that episode came out. I'm like, oh, I hope they found him. And I was like all worried about it. They're like, wait, I don't actually care. <laughs> they got me hooked on it. The, the way the tone of voice and the, the way the, the cheesy recreations. And... So yeah. I got it in my head briefly that I would watch the whole series, but that's never going to happen. So. <laughs> So, so when the second episode started, I just turned it off. I was like, I better not get hooked on this. Mm. Other things to do with my life, but that's that's pretty much it for me. I don't. Uh, Good lord, it's gonna, gonna be a short segment, I guess. It is because I only have one other thing. Because uh, the only movie I saw was Shazam, um, but then last night. Uh, Viceland started a new new docu-series called The Dark Side of the Ring which talks about just sort of uh, upsetting and dark things that happen within the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. So last night's episode was all about Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth okay. and their sort of tumultuous up and down relationship marriage, whatever and then how both of them died. Very sadly, at the end of their lives. Well, that's um, usually when most people die. Well, yeah, I'm just saying. Um, this is pretty good. Uh, this one seems a little lighter than what I was thinking it was going to be. But uh, it's basically just how much trouble they had in their marriage. and But they talked to like a bunch of people that I'm actually very surprised would be in a show like this. Like, So they talked to uh, Bruce Pritchard who was a big WWE executive, played uh, Brother Love back in the day. And at the time they filmed this, did not work for, has not worked for WWE for quite a while. Um, but then, like, just a couple weeks ago, got rehired as a pretty high-up executive for the WWE. So I'm wondering how happy they were that he participated in this, but haven't heard anything. Um, they talked to uh, Linda Hogan, Hulk Hogan's wife, because she became really good friends with Miss Elizabeth during that whole run in the 80s and 90s. And then uh, they talked to 
Randy Savage's brother, who played the genius back in the day. And uh, then they talked to Eric Bischoff. So there was, I mean, it just, I was like, wow, they talked to like actual people. Like, I'm. So it's not one of those, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I was kind of shocked, like, oh, well, I can pretty much trust most of the stuff that these people are saying because they're like legit people yeah, who are around them. No. So. Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of it, though, I felt was a little too storyline though. Okay. Because, um, I mean, they talk about, like, okay, they get married in real life and they have this on-screen working relationship, you know, but they, I guess they, they sort of played it up that they were in a relationship, but they definitely never said they were married until later when they had the giant wedding and stuff at SummerSlam. Yeah. Um, but then they talk about when he was teaming up with Hulk Hogan part of the mega powers and the and the jealousy that came yeah. about because of that. And I'm just sitting there like, but I mean, maybe they did end up not liking each other in real life, but all the stuff you're talking about was on, t- was on TV and that, that was all fake. Yeah. To a point. I mean, maybe part of it was real, but you're playing it up that, like their jealousy spilled over onto TV and then all the shit they were saying was real and stuff. And I'm just like, that's a weird turn in this sort of serious, somewhat documentary. So do they, like, is it clear what they're talking about? Like, that they're, are they saying, like, yeah, like, that's the storyline? Or are they... No. Two worlds. It is weird because that specific segment about the Hulk Hogan stuff. That's what threw me off because they're play- the way they were describing it. I'm like, are they trying to pretend that the stuff on TV is real and all this stuff? But then they, you know, the next segment we'll talk about like, yeah. Then Elizabeth was tired of being on the road, so she wanted time off. So then we paired him up with uh, Sensational Sherry, and then we're talking all about like that it's all fake and stuff. So it was just a very confusing, but it was only that Hulk Hogan spot. So I don't know. So it might just be somebody who's not that familiar with wrestling trying to figure out how to talk about it in an intelligent way. and drop Maybe. Maybe. It seems like all those people involved, that they would have been smarter about that, but I don't know. But it was the first episode, so we'll see. We'll see on the next episode if it... uh, if they clear clear that up, any. The next episode is called "The Killing of Bruiser Brody." Uh, that's not it. They are doing an episode of that. No, it's but, the next episode because it's up now. I'm staring at the web page right now. <laughs> well, they put that one up for free already for people to watch. Yeah. But the one they teased for the next episode was the Montreal Screwjob. Okay. And they're gonna be talking to Bret Hart, and I'm assuming other people. I don't know how much is left to say about that. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was wondering too. But that one there, I think maybe like if you're a newbie, it might mm. be a really really interesting story. But if you're, yeah. you know, if you were around when it happened, um, yeah, that'd be interesting because like if you ever get it, I don't know, you've probably seen wrestling with shadows. No, of course. Which, yeah, like that covered it pretty much like anything yeah. you need to know especially if they're talking to Bret Hart and you're getting his side of the story like yeah mm-hmm. we we know his side of the story he's not subtle no not whatsoever um 
But I guess the, the part of it is they're going to talk about how it changed the wrestling business. So yeah. that might be interesting to kind of see the ripple effects of that whole situation. And now that him and Vince have made up and whatever, maybe they can talk about that a little bit. So, I mean, I'm still interested to watch it, but yeah. That'd be interesting. And some of the stuff, because I mean, they do, a lot of it is talking heads, and they do have some footage of, uh, you know, the wrestlers and stuff from WWE and some of their indie promotion appearances and stuff like that they have like video footage but then they also they wouldn't call them recreation but it's just video to have going on the screen while the people are talking yeah it's interesting because they get people who sort of look like randy savage or miss elizabeth but then they light it in a weird way where you're just like oh yeah like that actually kind of looks like randy savage and it's lit in a weird way that you can't 100% see his face. Or it's like slightly blurred a little bit. So, I don't know. It's got some nice visuals and stuff. They at least took took the amount of care to, you know, make it look decent. So, it's interesting. I enjoyed the first episode. Uh, I am very interested in the Bruiser Brody story because uh, that's one that I've just never sort of delve into even though i know i know he was wrestling and got stabbed and killed and so i would you know i'm excited to kind of hear about that story and i don't know we'll see if the montreal screw job one is is going to be any good or not but yeah i don't know i think it's an interesting idea for a series i'm just i'm curious to see how it plays out for the rest of the season and what stories they end up touching on yeah that sounds like something I might check out. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Doug, what are we talking about next week? Uh, next week, kind of going the other way with our uh, movie choices. Um, going dark next week with some prison dramas. Uh, Bad Boys from 1983 starring Sean Penn. And uh, the British film Scum from 1979. Which is apparently quite brutal, but I've never seen it. So uh, its reputation is that it is a, quite a brutal look at life inside a juvenile delinquent's home in England in the 70s. Uh, and the fact that it was made in the 70s, I assume it's brutal compared to whatever we'd be seeing today anyway. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, we're going to prison next week. Prison. Yeah. A little, little different than what we've been doing the last couple of weeks here, but it's all right. Not that different from Old Boy, I guess. Yeah, just no um, 80s hilarity like we had this week. Oh, if I remember correctly, uh, Clancy Brown's haircut in Bad Boys is going to give me some 80s hilarity. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, maybe I'm mistaken. Hmm. Does anybody have anything clever to say to wrap us up? No, just no, not really. I was going to make a crack about there not being any women in these women in prison films. <laughs> hey, we did our women in prison films. Now we're doing like boys in prison films. It's equality through our podcast. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. 
We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.